in this church um, and the wider church, I'm just bowled over with um, the way that uh, the church has responded. And as I equate, it's not like somebody's sent a, uh, a sheepdog round to round people up. People have spontaneously been led to come and pray. Um, it's just really touching um, to see. I mean, I popped in, what was it? Was it Wednesday when you were praying in the Ralph? And uh, there was loads of you folk there, and it just so touching. And then the next day, I think that there was a, a similar prayer meeting, but there weren't the same people there. There was different people there praying. Um, and my sister came down, and she just, uh, her sister-in-law said, oh, yes, we've just been to Ashburnham, and there's, I think we've got you to think for that, Charles, but there's folk were praying at Ashburnham, and... Um, I was talking to Barry, and Barry's been umpteen people, I think literally around the world have been praying. Um, and I was talking to Helen's friend, who um, used to work at SGA, and uh, Mary Morphy, which I don't know that any of you can remember, used to come to this church. No, she used to come about 30-odd years ago. We used to have a prayer meeting in the back there. There was about three of us that used to be, and uh, she's now in Wales. I mean, not a good place to be, but... <laughs> no, she's in Wales, and, and they're praying for us. So it's just, it really is great to see a God's family coming together. Um, Liz had a word from Joe uh, the other day, and she felt that there was angels. Oh. You to come and take over. Um, I saw my aura. It's just me. Yeah, there were angels all around the back of Helen. Yeah. And interestingly, um, Barry was saying, oh, he said, I had a word, he said, this is independent, didn't know about this. And he said exactly the same thing, which was really great. It uh, lifts you up, doesn't it? And uh, as I was getting ready this morning, um, I, uh, it's funny what God says to you. I was um, just thinking, and. You know, if you read in the scriptures, it's when there's difficult things, God moves, didn't he? When the storms came, when somebody was ill and God healed them, that's when God really moved in people's lives, like the woman with the issue of blood. And it goes on, uh, what's it, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was ill, wasn't it? These, these are the bits that are recorded because they were awesome bits that were happening. And I think Helen being where she is, there's awesome things happening. I mean, we put out on our WhatsApp um, to the farm staff, it'd be good to pray. And the number of farm staff that have actually said, yeah, we're praying. And I'm thinking, well, there's, you know, we didn't think there was any faith there, but they are, they are praying. So it's, and it's, it is really touching to just feel that God is moving in people. And uh, yeah, lives are being touched. Um, anyway. Going back to uh, Helen, so I don't know, I don't want to bore you with going through the list, but basically she was, she had a, I mean we had a great week the week before, we went up to uh, Rebecca and um, Jack and the kids, we spent a week there, we went to a farm bit in the middle and, uh, and then Helen, she doesn't normally do spontaneous, she, she suddenly booked a, a night with the hotel on the Thursday night which was, I, I couldn't get over the fact that she booked it and we got a hotel 
it's not like her. But anyway, she did it. So I, you just think, oh, God's got his hands in all these things, hasn't he? Um, so we had a lovely time there. And she, on the Friday, we went to uh, Waddeston, which is where Jeff gets his birds from, um, amongst other things. So we, we dropped into there and we walked. We must have walked three miles around there. And uh, she, she was just a little chesty nut. Nothing right. You wouldn't say there's anything wrong with her at all, really, but just a little touch. And then, obviously, Sunday she didn't come to church because she felt, no, she wasn't quite the ticket. And Monday she was just got this cough a little bit worse. Well, but Tuesday morning she was really, she could hardly speak. Um, but she, she did, a, she was enough to go up to the uh, um, pharmacist and get some drugs and book in the uh, doctor uh, in the afternoon. And... I went to Aldershot, and by the time I came back, she was really struggling for breath. And we went into the doctor, and well, straight away down to the uh, hospital, just straight away. And um, they were so brilliant down there; they really were. It's they were literally there was about five or six of them all round her, and one was jabbing this arm, and one was taking samples from that arm and oxygen on. It was, it was, uh, yeah. It was really moving just to see everybody going round her and blessing her really but they straight away wanted to take her into the ICU unit but just moving her from the uh, medical assessment unit round to that she went back just in that short distance um, I mean the consultant did say afterwards it's a bit like uh, when you've got a severe injury and somebody walks a long way they hold out until they get there and then they just relax and uh, whether that was she was just holding on I don't know but, um, yeah, and then when on that, what was that, that was the Tuesday night, she, the consultant came up and he said, well, he said, you've got 50-50 chance, which is really sort of bowled me over a bit. But, um, so I think she is making steady, as much as you can tell, steady, steady bits. They've reduced the, um, the whatever it is, what is it? sedation and, and the oxygen. The oxygen level at one, one stage was up to 90%, so she's down to about 30, 35. Yeah, so that's good. Um, but we just, she is still very, very ill. Um, so I appreciate all your prayers, um, and I think we just need to keep uh, bearing her up. But it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long haul. And obviously for us, all of us, it's going to be a lot of adjustments, because bless her, there were so many hats she wore. Uh, yeah. So, appreciate prayers. And it does mean there's got to be changes in the, things in the church and at home, at the farm. Because she will, even if she comes back, she will not be able to do what she has been doing. So, you need to just bear that in mind. And, uh, yeah. All right? So... I'll let you lead, lead in prayer. Can I read the psalm? Yes, psalm 23 has really blessed me. Uh, I've, yeah, it really has. Different bits of scripture bless you at different times, don't they? They seem more real. And um, Psalm 23 has really blessed me. Do you want to read it as well? I was going to read 139, but do you want to read yeah. 23 as well? Yeah, the, the 139 is, is uh, good too, isn't it? Because before we were even born... It was all written down in a book, which is really encouraging, isn't it? And through it all, you know, you can think, oh, this is disaster. Some, some non-Christians said, oh, it should never happen to her. She's too good. I said, well, this is life, isn't it? And God has a plan. 
Um, and it's good to be reminded that he has a plan. And it's not some jumped up plan he's just suddenly made up. It's a long-term plan. It's for good. For the good of the kingdom. Okay, I'll read out Psalm 23 and Psalm 139. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I'll read 139 as well. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell, with the farthest dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate innermost parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you, your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, you know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Uh, I saw a, um, a kestrel on Monday. I was driving and I saw a kestrel and I'd been thinking about God and about being in his presence. And I, the kestrel really spoke to me of like, he's got his eyes on the prize and there's all wind and everything, but he's just holding himself with his eyes on the prize. And I just felt like that, um, keeping our eyes on God doesn't matter what's going on around you. Um, and I was, um, something that I do a lot when I pray is uh, when I'm feeling a bit lost or stuff seems a bit impossible, then um, I do, uh, you know, God says in Job, he says, have you, seen my, have you seen my servant Job? And I go, have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus? Um, because he's there, um, exalted, like no one can shake him 
Uh, he's there. He's already he's there. And uh, that's our security. Um, but I also I pray about the fact that, weirdly, we are in his presence all the time and we are seated in heavenly places. We are hidden with Christ in God. And I pray about that a bit. And I was thinking about it the other day and I was, like, I was praying to be in God's presence to, to bring Helen in. And I was like, oh, she's already here. <laughs> she's already there. Um, so I will pray. Everyone can pray. Um, but I will pray if that's all right. Um, Lord, I thank you for that. Um, I awake and I'm still with you, it says. That psalm is just so full of truth. Um, and we just have so much hope in you. We can't despair because we have hope in you. And Helen is safe in your hands. She is safe in your hands. I thank you for your angels that are surrounding her. I thank you um, that you are ministering to people even through this. And I thank you that, yeah, she, she's fine because she's with you. In the darkness, you're there. In the light, you're there. Um, you are the same. You're, yeah. Your love is everlasting. Your love endures forever. And uh, I thank you for that. And we, but, but we do just come into your presence and say, no, <laughs> we don't want Helen to go. Um, we say she just brings so much good into this world and I can't imagine that those are not part of your plan God so we say we come against anything that the enemy is bringing and no weapon forged against us can prevail mm. and we say just um, just heal her Lord bring her to healing and keep bringing all the blessings that you are Lord Amen going to have a little bit longer to worship but let's also bring our prayers as well i think um as i've i've been sort of thinking over the last week or so god is calling his people to pray and helen is is something that's caused us all i think again to to realize the need for this but it it's more than just not saying that that's not important we pray for helen but there are other things that God wants us to pray for as well. And he wants us to be a people who are relying upon him. And so as we, as we worship him, let's have some time when people can express their, their thanks and their adoration, but also their prayer. I, I really believe that God wants to call us as a people to prayer. Um, I know for myself it's easy to get um, caught up with other things and to worry about everything and and to forget that God is there listening and that he does care and we carry everything on our own and all he's saying is turn to me um, that I, I believe it was Charles Wesley that says that, that uh, God does nothing except by prayer and um, I know that and I've known that in my head for years and years and years and yet actually living that out I think we all struggle with so let's let's have a time of worship um, but let it be intermingled with our prayers we're going to start by just singing my Jesus my saviour
Influenza type A, go quickly, Lord, and, yes. and heal her, Lord. Heal yeah. her of anything else that might have been going wrong. Heal her, Lord, and <clears throat> make her 
help her to make a really good recovery, Lord. Help her recovery to be, as our friend says, from from now, Lord. Help it to keep getting yes, better Lord. and better and better mm -hmm. till she's really well again, Lord. Yes, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord. Be with her. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 We pray, Lord, for all those people that have been touched by this, Lord, um, outside of the family, Lord, for the, the workers in the farm, Lord, who have actually found themselves praying, Lord. We ask that they would meet with you in those prayers, Lord, that so they would see that you are the one that they can turn to in, in their time of need, Lord. We pray, Father, for the doctors and nurses that come into contact with the family. We ask that you give them open hearts, Lord, to be able to receive what you've done, Lord Jesus, that you give opportunities to be able to share gently with them um, the faith that uh, the family has in Jesus, that they would sense the prayers of the people as well, Father, and your presence around Helen. Father, we know that you can use these things, even though they seem terrible in our sight, we know that you can use them for glory, Lord. And as your people are drawing close to you to seek your face for Helen, we pray that they would sense your presence and you would put upon each one of us, Lord, a deep sense of our need of prayer, Father, to seek your face, to see your, you moving, Lord, throughout this land, Lord, and for Jesus' kingdom come. Lord, that's what we ask, that Jesus' kingdom will come. And we do pray, Lord, for a complete healing of Helen. We pray, Lord, it would be a testimony to your loving kindness, Lord, and that she would be here worshipping you, Lord, very quickly, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, we pray for Charles as he comes to bring your word. We ask, Father, that your spirit would enliven that word to our hearts, Lord, and that you would speak to each one of us in whatever way you need to speak to us, Father, that we will have hearts that are open to hear from you, Lord, ears to hear from you, Lord, and that you would give us the power to be obedient to you as well, Father, that your kingdom will come more and more in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everyone. Um, we're in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, if you want to turn to it and follow. There we are. A passage uh, for 1 to 11 we're, we're looking at. A passage that doesn't immediately strike you as being consistent with what we've been dealing with so far. But stay with me. Stay with me. The word of God is always good, wherever it comes from. Um, Luke has just told us that there's been a wonderfully generous outpouring of, of practical help within the church in Jerusalem where there have been lots of poor people who have needed things and um, those who have had the facility to have sold houses or lands from time to time and shared the profits with others and then told us particularly about a guy called Joseph whose name will be Barnabas from this point on because that's his nickname because he's a generous encourager so it gives us a specific thing like that um, he'll be more of him later in the story. And he brings uh, the prophet from a field he sold and brought the money to the apostles' feet. So Luke has given us some very positive examples of people's just heartfelt, God-driven generosity to others as they feel prompted by God. 
Now we have this story. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Gosh. When people often say, I wish the church were like the book of Acts, they're not usually thinking of these stories. They're thinking of all the good stories about people being healed, people being saved, people being delivered, miraculous signs and wonders, outpourings of generosity. Those are the stories they're hearing about. But there are some that cause us to stop at our tracks, aren't they? And this is one of them. Why has Luke included this strange and, to be honest, scary story in his account of the church? Because that's what the church was like. And he's just telling us what the church was like. So we must always get our view of who God is like from the Bible and not from other sources. Ironically, this is exactly what many people think either should happen or does happen when people mock God, that God will zap them. Actually, if you go through the Bible, you'll find it is extremely rare. Indeed, it's extremely rare in contemporary life as well. It does not happen. How many people have you, do you know who have mocked God arrogantly and are still living, as it were, to tell the tale? Plenty of them. So it doesn't happen anywhere near as often as people think it ought to or should do. Of course, we're in danger of applying our own principles from our culture to this story. What's the big deal about lying? Everybody lies. People in public office lie. People in famous places lie. People we depend upon lie. What's the big deal about lying? The big deal in our society is not the lying, it's the getting caught about lying. That's the problem. We've come accustomed to people lying. So we would say, what's the big deal about Ananias and Sapphira? Well, it's told by way of contrast to these other things. What we have to remember is the New Testament tells us 
about salvation, three things. It says we, are, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. You can look them up if you want to in your concordance. I won't give you the references, but that's what the New Testament tells us. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, which reminds us that it ain't over till the fat lady sings, right to the end. The Bible never talks about us, as it were, getting a ticket for heaven, after which we can do what we like, but it's okay because we've got our ticket. doesn't support that view. So God has done something profound in our lives at the beginning. That's called justification. It doesn't change us. It changes our relationship to God. That's what it does. But then the process of sanctification begins, making us more like Jesus day by day, being saved. And then glory of glories. Those who persevere to the end, says Jesus, will be saved. So, here's a few thoughts for you this morning. First of all, what do you think of sin then? It's not a word that contemporary society likes to use, is it? We use all sorts of other euphemisms. Peter was very quick to point out to Ananias that he hadn't just lied to him, he had lied to God. This was a serious matter. Twice we're told that this incident strikes great fear in those who heard about it, which would have included Christians. They're being told that God is very serious about sin. He will not have it. What we have to remember is that we're part of the same story that Abraham and his descendants were part of. Their story is our story. We're just coming to a bigger end. Jesus fulfills their story, introduces the church, and the church is grafted into the vine. And we are part of the same trajectory. In which case, what God expects of them he expects of us. And when they're about to go into the promised land, God says in Leviticus 18, he says, do not adopt the practices of the people you're going into and do not keep up with the practices of the people you've just left. You are to be holy. Do not have any part to play. So we're not to be like, in that sense, the people around about. We are meant to be different because God is different. In the final analysis... All sin is against God. You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? This Joseph who was taken into slavery and became Potiphar's servant and then is invited to have sex with Potiphar's wife by her. And his response to that outrageous suggestion is this. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not against Potiphar, but against God. All sin is against God eventually. We should remember that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God at some point. Nothing in all creation, we're told from Hebrews, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But I tell you, says Jesus, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Lying is a big deal because all sin is a big deal with God. Jesus repeatedly said, in, especially in John's Gospel, I tell you the truth. It's not that when he didn't say that, he wasn't telling the truth. He's just saying what you hear most of the time is lies, deceit, exaggeration. I'm telling you the truth. And then said that the devil is a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, 
He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So lies put us on a parallel course with Satan and have nothing to do with God. Lies are just not words spoken. They have enormous power. James, if you want to read his letter, has strong words to say about what we say with our lips because they have effects. Words lead to action. No wonder David prayed in the psalm that you read to us. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He knew what sin meant, and he wanted nothing to do with it. What is your view of sin? Christianity is the only faith that takes sin seriously as a reality, but has a solution to it. John writes helpfully, We are sinners. If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But he also reminds us that we're not to sin habitually. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, he says, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So remember this, blessed are the pure in heart for, can you finish that? They shall see God. If you want to see God, purity of heart is what you're looking for. And that's what God offers, isn't it? The reason John came baptising with water for repentance was that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. Repent. And see, all those people who went to John's baptism believed in Jesus, but those who didn't, didn't. There's a connection there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, my friends, we're in a spiritual battle that is unrelenting. We need to remember that. Now, I'm not suggesting that everything that happens is a result of Satan's personal intervention. Far from it. Remember, he is created, not omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He's not responsible for everything. A lot of it is our direct fault or the implications of our activities. But we are told in this story that there's a direct confrontation between the devil and God. Peter, we're told, in Acts 4 verse 8, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now in this story we're told that Ananias was filled by Satan. There's a contrast here, a conflict here, a confrontation. This is not just a discussion between two people, but between God and God's enemy. The encounter is between the devil and God. And just as Jesus baptised in water was immediately confronted with the devil in the wilderness, so the church too, as Luke tells us a story, encounters that. We've had persecution, we've had problems and all sorts of things. This is another way, from within. Luke doesn't call Ananias and Sapphira believers. I'm not going to make a big point about that, but he doesn't call them that. He leaves it up to us to decide quite how far God may have changed their lives. But as far as Luke is concerned here, not very far. So we need to know that we're in this battle and the battle is going all the time. One of the ways that the Old Testament illustrates the activity of the devil is in, with the story of Job. And you'll know where he attacked Job. It was through his body and his possessions. The very thing that Helen is going through now and John is going through now is something that really touches us deeply. And the question that we are being invited 
to ask, and I'm not suggesting that Satan is directly involved in this, please don't think that. But the question we're always invited to ask in these sort of circumstances is, where is the God of love and comfort? Does he not care? And you've heard, and I know of people who through these sort of incidents have walked away from God because if that's what God is like, then they want nothing to do with it. Because that's a temptation, isn't it? But God is good, whatever is happening in our lives. Be alert and of sober mind, says Peter in his letter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we're in a spiritual battle and it's a tough one. We'll never make it on our own, but then we're not left on our own. Jesus has given us all that we need to stand and having done all things to stand. In the New Testament, there are three lists of spiritual gifts, usually called in Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians. I don't want to push a point here, but you can see the gifts in Romans as being gifts of God the Father, because they come from that as far as Paul writes it. The gifts of God, God in Ephesians come through the Son. It's the Son who gives those gifted people. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says these are gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts if you like and the qualification is to be filled with the spirit and what they are are tools to do the job if we are to live the life of Jesus and to do the works of Jesus then we need what he had and you have this tantalizing suggestion in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself of everything well he was still God you can't unbecome God but somehow or other he emptied himself, whatever that means. But then we're also told he was filled with the fullness of God. So when you go to the, the beginning of the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter is explaining what's happening, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. Listen to this, talking about Jesus, which God did through among you, through him, as you yourselves know. He did what he did through the power of the Spirit within him. We have no record of anything happening before his baptism. All the miracles happened after, when he had been filled with the Spirit. My friends, we have been given the same gift, the Holy Spirit. We have been given, my friends, the same spiritual gifts. They are not badges of office to boast about other people. They're not tools for us to play with in church and then put in a box and leave. They are tools to do a job. And the task is to live the same life that Jesus, we are to seek them. So what's happening in this little story here then? Our spiritual gifts. The message of knowledge. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, you'll find there's a message of knowledge. This is what Peter has. How would he know what Ananias and Sapphira have planned to do in the privacy of their own home? other than God telling him. There's no way he would know. So God has said to him, in some way or other, either this is not all the money, they're keeping some back, or ask him about the money and so forth. But in some way or other, God has given him the knowledge which he otherwise wouldn't have. So he simply confronts Ananias with the knowledge. He doesn't know what's going to happen as a result of that. What he's doing is confronting him with something. Let's get this clear. Nobody had to sell their houses. There was no compulsion. Absolutely none. Having sold their houses, what they did with the money was entirely up to them. There was no compulsion. 
He's told us that some people saw people in need, sold this and gave that. Because they wanted to. So that's what Peter confronts him with. He says, your money was yours to do whatever you like with. The house, the land, whatever it was, you could keep for yourselves. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And having sold it, didn't it belong to you? The problem is, you presented it as if it were all the stuff. The early church saw its need of the spirit and saw its need of the church. This is of, of the spiritual gifts to engage with the enemy his, who is pro, prowling around. So when he presents that to him, God, in his wisdom and mercy, doesn't give Ananias any time to repent. He strikes him dead. That was not Peter doing it. That was not the church doing it. That would have caught Peter completely by surprise. That has never happened before in the same way. The closest you get is Achan in Joshua 7. But that's done in a much bigger way. Peter has no experience. He's not expecting Ananias to die at this point. This is God. This is God saying to the church, how you act matters to me. It is important. And my goodness, it caught everyone by surprise, not least Peter. And so they deal with him, take him outside, and then a little while later, Sapphira comes in. He doesn't need a word of knowledge now. He's seen what God has done to Ananias. Has she been complicit in this? Is this what you and Ananias planned? Yes, she said. That's exactly what it was. Then Peter doesn't need any other information. He says, what happened to your husband is going to happen to you then, isn't it? This is terrifying stuff, isn't it? But we have been given the gifts to deal with the problems. And this is an uncomfortable area because all of a sudden you feel, oh my goodness. If, people, if God started telling other people what's going on in my life, woo, I don't like the thought of that. Nor should we. Because God takes things seriously, my friends. And so we have to watch out. God is not just about making us feel happy and good and safe and healed. He's about making us holy and righteous and changing us to be more like his son sanctifying us so we have an obligation to stand with each other help one another this is why the new testament says if you see your brother sinning go and tell him his fault before god zaps him like ananias you could almost add couldn't you would you want that to happen no well then go and tell him his fault and save him from his sins has that element to it as well but here's the thought i want you to rest on this morning this is a thought, my last thought, this is a thought I want you to rest on here, is that Ananias had no idea about the ways of God. His view of God was really distorted. Because where did all this come from? These guys, or ladies, who knows, selling property, giving it to others, and people say, oh, thank you so much. Again, no obligation. They just wanted to do it. They didn't want their name on a plaque listing the contributors to the rebuilding of this house or whatever it was. Barnabas is mentioned too. We don't know the names of any others. And that's given as well. So what is happening in Ananias' life then? He's trying to make himself look better than he actually is, isn't he? That's all that's happening here. 
He wants to be affirmed like all these other guys have done it. So he's going to do the same as them, except that he wants to look better than he actually is. He can't quite bring himself to selling it and giving it all away. So he holds something back, but he says this is all of it, because he wants to look better. Here's a quote from a commentary I was reading about Jephthah in the Old Testament, another character you don't really want to know about, because he's an awkward one. The story of Jephthah is not an Old Testament favourite. Mostly we do not know what to do with him. Jephthah is a leader, a judge of Israel, who fights Israel's enemies and leads the nation into freedom. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him to lead him into battle. And yet no sooner had the Spirit come into Jephthah, he made the biggest mistake of his life. He made a vow to God to sacrifice the first thing that came to meet him when he came home victorious. But God had never asked for a vow. God had already sent him his spirit. Jephthah was trying to buy the support that he already had. Do you get that? He was trying to impress God in some way so that God would give him what he needed. But he already had what he needed. The Holy Spirit. He didn't need to do anything else. Did he? That's precisely the kind of situation for Ananias. He's trying to look better than he is. He's trying to curry favour with the apostles and by extension with God. But he doesn't need to do that. Shall I tell you why? Because God doesn't deal with us according to how we behave, but according to his grace. Isn't that true? He gives not because we earn the right for it, but because in his grace he gives it to us. So they would have appreciated Ananias selling his property and giving 1% of it to help. Thank you so much, that's really good. Everyone would have been happy. 50%, everyone would be really happy. It's because he kept some back and pretended. He wanted to look better. So, he's trying to buy favour. So my point for you this morning is, my friends, you never have to pretend, either with God, and that's a nonsense anyway because he knows everything, doesn't he, and still loves us, or with each other. We don't have to pretend to be better than we are. We can be vulnerable people. We can be open with each other. We can tell people what a struggle it is. We don't have to pretend to be more together than we really are. Church of all the places in the world ought to be the place where we can be ourselves. Isn't that true? Be ourselves. We don't have to pretend. If you can drag yourself in on a Sunday morning and you're feeling wretched and everything's gone wrong and you... At that moment in time, if I can say this without you thinking me a heretic, you hate God because he's just not doing things in the way you think he ought to be doing, and you're really struggling, and you found psalms that give you the voice to say those things because psalmists had the temerity to shout at God. But you can drag yourself into church. You don't have to say, fine, when everyone says, how are you? You can say, I'm really having a tough time with God because we're together in this and we want to help one another. Isn't that true? So take that from this story. This poor man suffered because he pretended. He pretended to be more than he was. 
He wanted the kudos without the holiness. He wanted the fame without the change of heart. And unfortunately that's so true of our society. We find people present a persona in society that is all-encompassing and everyone idolises them and then something happens and we find out they've got feet of clay, they've done rotten things, and sometimes they've done rotten things that even we would never have done. And they come crashing down. All because they pretended to be more than they are and they wanted more adulation. My friends, we don't need any adulation. God affirms us. God loves us, whatever we're like, doesn't he? So we don't need other affirmation. But we can be real with each other. So maybe some of us who like to hold it together and give the impression that everything's okay need to be a bit more vulnerable. Willing to say, I'm not making it today. Lynn and I were once part of a little group of people who met regularly on a monthly basis for year after year. They were all ministers and wives, very supportive people. But it was very interesting because each month, at some point in our worship time all morning and prayer time all morning, some, someone would say, how are things going with everyone? And we'd sort of go around the circle. And it was uncanny that each month someone would say, well, actually, I'm really, really struggling on this issue. And it wasn't just a case of I got a gotty member and I don't know what to do with them. It was a personal thing. And it was almost cut going around the circle. And I was almost thinking, like, next month it'd be me. It's going to be me because it's come around. But it was that sort of environment. I found it so helpful, my friends. These ministers who are much longer in the tooth and much more experienced than me were saying, I, on Mondays I just feel shredded. I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, faith? I haven't got any faith on a Monday. Not after Sunday. It just wipes me out. And hear these guys saying, I'm thinking, oh, oh, it's not so bad then. Oh, okay. Whew. And they actually built me up instead of pulling me down. So honesty, my friends, openness, reality, ought to be the hallmarks of the fellowship of God's people, oughtn't they? So, Father, thank you that you accept us as we are because you love us. And because you love us, you won't leave us as we are, but you'll change us from glory to glory into the image of your Son, and that one day we will have the uttermost joy of seeing you face to face and being like you. In the meantime, Lord, some of us have high days and some of us on low days. Will you help us as we relate to one another, not just in this brief time on a Sunday, but week by week, to be honest and open with each other, that we may help each other grow in the Lord and see your kingdom come and you will be done here on earth, in this place, as it is done in heaven. For Jesus' sake. Amen.